As a result of the outbreak, your city or entire region may be endangered by a lethal agent. If conditions at your location make this a possibility, you need to consider staying in place until the threat has subsided or blown over. The following steps will ensure that your home will serve as a biological or chemical safe haven. As always, Connor Brogan. Yeah, we're back at this. You're probably wondering, uh, what's new with me? Do I have uh, any news? I don't really, to be honest. Um, I brought a what we would refer to back home as a as a deep freeze. I got one of those. Stocked it up with meat. That's about it. Last week we talked about possibly getting in contact with uh, some survivors. Maybe, possibly, if anybody's around, leave something in the microwave on top of the library downtown. And a bit of an update on that. Well, I don't really want to. I don't know whether or not to update on this one because I don't like. I don't know if uh, if somebody was there. Or not. Like n- nothing was left in the fridge, or nothing was left in the microwave, rather. But I think somebody came to scope the place out. I'm not sure. If you did, you saw that I mean that I'm not, uh, I'm not, like, it's not booby trapped or anything. I, 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 honestly, the amount of work that would go into that would just, just really make it not worth it for me, to be honest. <laughs> I just couldn't be arsed. Um. Oh, yeah. So... Another thing that, like, you're probably noticing about the post-apocalyptic world is that if you get a song stuck in your head, it's in there for, like, (laughs) months. Because, like, I remember reading before that, like, your brain has a problem with, like, unresolved melodies or whatever, and that's why it, uh, it, like, seeks out, or sorry, it keeps repeating them until it resolves itself. So the best way to, like, get a song out of your head is by listening to the thing in its entirety, apparently problem with that is is if you get a song stuck in your head like I did I, I don't know about you guys but I randomly wake up sometimes and 
like I'll be like I'll literally be like humming along or singing along to a song. But the one that has been stuck in my head recently has been Bombaleo by the Gypsy Kings. Now, I'm not sure if any well, I'm not sure if A, any of you are out there or B, any of you know this song. But Bombaleo by the Gypsy Kings is one of those songs that like you could very well have made up in your mind and I'm not entirely sure that I didn't make it up because it is such a ridiculous song when I think about it like I don't like I, I have no I like I have no recollection of like being at any like you know social events when somebody played Bumbaleo and like you know people started going out Bumbaleo and like started dancing on the floor and then like that but like I'm like I'm trying to figure out if I made it up or not and I have no clue and I have no access to that song and it's just stuck in there so that's been stuck in my head for you know a couple of weeks right uh, anyway that's enough about Bumbaleo and the Gypsy Kings this week's story our protagonist finds herself as many of you can probably remember before all of this happened she found herself at work at a weekend this week's episode is called The Notification. Maybe it was too much caffeine. Legs jittering under the table, she reached out for a water bottle. Sarah's thoughts came thick and fast. Did she need headphones? No one else was in the office. The office seemed bigger when she was by herself. Did she take vitamin C yet? Don't want that sniffle turned into a cold. The weather was surprisingly nice for a Sunday in February. The sun was even shining a little at her back, her outline cutting a sharp silhouette on her desk. There was a note in the corner of her monitor. It was a to-do list of sorts. Her notes tended to be rather scattershot and cryptic. She liked that this made it hard for other people to read her notes, but hated that it made her seem like a crazy person and therefore her notes the babblings of a deranged lunatic. To-do note had four items on it. Increase them numbers, motherfucker. Lock down a launch date for that side bitch. Set trade alarms. Look into that cryptocurrency Paul was talking about. When Sarah wasn't having an affair or anything, her first note, increase all them work numbers, was a simple task of developing a plan on how to increase the output of the team she was now head of. Her team wasn't performing as well as she wanted them to, but that was to be expected. She had only been on the job for about five weeks by this stage. The numbers were from her first week compared to her fifth, so a bit more promising, but the changes she implemented were all based on gut feeling. She needed some data to back up her strategy. The motherfucker part was just for her. If only her 19-year-old self could see her now. Making long-term plans and schemes, she would laugh, or more likely roll her eyes. Her younger self was never a person who wanted to work on the weekend. Never wanted to adhere to structure. She wanted to go with the flow and see what happened. Basically, her early self was a bit of a hippie, but the thing that her young self was, that her 28-year-old self detested the most, was broke. She didn't own jack shit. She didn't have a wardrobe full of nice clothes. She didn't have an incredibly hot girlfriend or boyfriend. She didn't own a car. Fuck. Her younger self couldn't even afford insurance on an old Nissan Micra. Not now, though. Now the perfume she wore was worth more than that micra. She imagined luggage and a housekeeper. She made sure her house was always clean and clinical, like an Apple store. Now she got up at 5.30 every morning and went to the gym before work. She got her hair and her nails done at a high-end salon in town. She drank pour-over coffee and her boyfriend was hot, even if she couldn't stand him most of the time. 
He was so good looking that her friends even got jealous. Sometimes when her mates got drunk enough, they would talk about how they liked to fantasize about him. She would never show it at the time, but that envy would thrill her to pieces. She was better off now. She detested the person she used to be, a bleeding heart liberal who believed in the goodness of people and our ability to impact change on the consumer capitalistic society in which we live. What a load of cock. A smile came to her face as she nodded away to the deep electronic music she was listening to. <clears throat> Here was a kid who didn't believe in God because she claimed to believe in the scientific method and couldn't square away how God could exist according to science, yet she believed in people being good despite all of the evidence of the contrary, worse still that trying to fix the system would work, a system designed to propagate itself and subjugate the growing masses. Her gullibility made her laugh now. No one gets anything for free. That was the best piece of advice her father ever gave her. He gave her a lot, really. He may have, from time to time, bullied and berated each of them when he was drunk, but her father paid for the house she grew up in, and was sure shit a lot nicer than any house that idealistic 19-year-old could afford. He paid for an education that got her foot in the door, and while he was alive, she never thanked him for that. This was a man who was never supposed to have kids, but not only did he provide for them, but put them all through college, and never leave them wanting for anything. All they did in return was ignore him once they got old enough to leave. That's what doing the right thing gets you. Her coffee was going cold. Rubbing her chin, she decided to take the hit. Better a cold coffee for now than getting up to warm it and losing time. When you have green grass ahead of you, you run. That's what her first ever football coach said to her. After about an hour of plugging away at her work, sporadically jumping from task to task in a strange dance reminiscent of Neil Pert, her eyes began to ache. Sarah Casey stood up from her desk for the first time during the day. It was 11.17. She had been at work now for nearly two hours and hadn't looked up from the screen once. Various beverage containers lay impotently beside her monitor. From left to right was an empty water bottle, hydration is key, a coffee cup, caffeine is vital, and another reusable plastic bottle. It was good for the environment, or at least her boyfriend was shitting on about something like that. She could have sworn he said it was BP-free. Was it possible that her water bottle was free of British petroleum? Who gives a fuck? Seems to keep him from burning the year off her about the environment again. He got drunk on their second date and started a rant that would last long in her memory as the most circular and pointless story she'd ever heard. He'd even brought up something about how Reiki was great. What another amount of ballology, she thought. But she wanted to get her end away, so she smiled and nodded at him. What a great listener. Also... She knew if she could pull this off, it would surely earn her a round of applause from the girls on the WhatsApp group. In fact, it was just after he had said something about animal husbandry being terrible for the environment when she started composing the message to the WhatsApp group in her head. She took out her notebook. It was a brown leather-bound book, handmade, beautifully ornate, with string looped through a round fastener on the cover. At the end of the string was a little brass anchor. It's the only thing to escape her last relationship, but if it survives this one, it might indeed be a miracle. Her boyfriend had seen it and commented. He said while he totally loved it, it didn't feel very Sarah. He worked marketing, so she just assumed it was some sort of quasi-psychological bullshit, which was his want. She didn't get what he meant. He then went on to explain it wasn't very on-brand for her. If people and things were products, Sarah, you would be a Samsung smartphone. Sleek, emotionless, but most importantly functional, whereas this notebook is more akin to a hand-built wooden chair. Does that mean I'm going to spontaneously blow up? She said, almost bungling the line with giddy anticipation. 
even though he didn't laugh, she was proud of herself. He just sort of blew out through his nose as if she had brought up a surprising but valid point in a business meeting. Where did you get it? And that was when the shit hit the fan. A very long argument ensued, one of the epics of the relationship. The notebook was from a previous relationship, a girlfriend. They met when they were both 23 and not yet crushed on the realisation of what a colossal, stagnant, shit-heap real adult life was. For the merry-go-round of rejection and misery, more frequent reminders of their own mortality. One day, when she was walking into college, Sarah walked by a black Renault Megane. It was pulled in in the middle of the road. Granted it was just one of the service roads, it still very much was in the way. It had its hazard lights on and sat in the front seat was Caroline. She had her hand over her mouth and her eyes trained on the rearview mirror. Something came over Sarah to walk over. She was medium in almost every way, except her face. Her face had this symmetry to it that seemed to unlock something in Sarah. It just made sense to her, same way a jigsaw does when the last piece gets put in. It was inexplicable. She never thought of making a move, she'd never been with a girl before, she never knew she wanted to be with girls before. But she couldn't just sleep with this girl, could she? She'd want to know more. All this passed before she even knocked on her window. Are you alright? she asked. Caroline sat waving her palms at the sky. It just died, she said. They talked briefly and decided that they would push her car off the road and wait for a breakdown service. Sarah walked to the back of her car and pushed like hell and the car rocked but it didn't move. She was still in gear. Sarah walked back up to the window and told her to put it in neutral. As she began to speak she looked at her and it was the first time she got a good look at her eyes. She had these massive blue eyes that stunned her. Sarah's mouth suddenly went dry, her mind empty, and her stomach took a little drop, much like it would if you drove over a sudden dip in the road. She managed to fumble out, uh, neutral? combined with a weird hand gesture to the gear stick. Then she slowly trudged to the back end of the car, hiding her reddening cheeks behind it. When they got off the side road, Caroline said that she definitely owed her a drink. Sarah almost said no out of politeness and habit, the way her mother would, but she stopped herself at the last minute. Yes, I'd like that, she said. She said that she'd love to work in ILM, making props for films. When it came to her turn, Sarah said that she always loved the political cartoons in the Irish Times. That she would love to be that good. That good? She asked. You draw? That just lit this fire under her. She then wouldn't rest until Sarah showed some of her drawings to her, even though she didn't do that for anyone. After a week, she played her trump card. Silent treatment. Two days later, Sarah caved. The following week, a package arrived at her door. It was the leather notebook. They went out together for about six months. She was kind and happy. She laughed at Sarah's jokes, and they got on really well. Until they didn't. She tried to make out that Sarah was lazy or useless. But of course, she said that that's not what she meant. That she wanted her to do better, or that she was just trying to help. So that was the story of the notebook. That was it. Just a notebook from an axe. But her new boyfriend couldn't accept it. 
She kept being pissy with her until she got rid of it, but of course, she didn't get rid of it. She pretended to throw it out, but fished it from the bin and put it at her desk drawer. No use wasting a perfectly good notebook, she thought. When she put her notebook back on the desk, she knocked over the mug and spilling a small bit of coffee onto her book. She snapped it up and started to dry it with the sleeve of her jumper. Just then her phone buzzed. It was a text message, but the sender line read, EMERGENCY ALERT. Then in all capitals it read, BALLISTIC MISSILES INBOUND TO DUBLIN. SEEK IMMEDIATE SHELTER. THIS IS NOT A DRILL. What the fuck did that mean? She knew that there was some war going on overseas, but over what and between whom exactly escaped her. The news would have images of a drone levelling a city block from some war-torn fuckhole. But Ireland was a neutral country. Didn't bother her enough to look it up. Also, politics is one of those things that, the more she learned about it, the less she knew. She figured any subject like that was pretty much full of shit. Young Sarah was different, of course. She had views on political issues, but considering how wrong she was about other things, the molting of the new Sarah had included shedding her political views. What the fuck did this message mean? Ballistic missile. Why in the world would something like this happen? Was it spam? Her phone getting infected with some sort of sophisticated virus? The internet will have some answers, she thought. She copied the text and searched it all. Within a second, the search returned a direct result. It was a news story that had notified all the residents of Hawaii there was an upcoming nuclear bomb threat. Sarah vaguely remembered it a few years ago. Apparently at a changeover of shift in a Navy radar base, someone hit the wrong button and for 45 minutes everyone thought they were about to be vaporised. This has to be it. Must be a false alarm. Someone hitting the big red button with their arse as they take their jacket off at the end or beginning of a shift. Let's see what's on TV about it, she thought. Sarah got up from her seat, tucking her feet into her shoes which she had removed and discarded at the side of her desk. It took her a moment to switch on the TV. She arrived at BBC. It was some sort of daytime talk show. The segment was a hairdresser doing some woman's hair. The lady looked like she had been picked out of the audience. So this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but a crimper. She smiled to herself as she allowed herself to relax for a little. She found an Irish channel on the box, a sort of 24-hour news service, but it wasn't really 24 hours. It was currently playing a repeat of earlier news that was on. Apparently a schoolboy, about 11, from Dungarvan and Waterford, came up with a great way to farm her garden using a homemade irrigation system she designed herself with some cheap computer parts. The technology was not really that newsworthy, it had been around for the last decade. She walked back over to her seat. Fuck you, Timmy, she said. She didn't know if that was the kid's name or not, but she kind of looked like that kid in The Simpsons. The one that McGarnagle got killed. Then there was a loud noise. The seat of the Irish government appeared on the television screen. It was a breaking news sting. A woman with a clear South Dublin accent began speaking gravely. Sarah didn't catch all of the words. She just heard phrases as her pulse began to thud in her ears. Phrases like, Potential nuclear missile, or Take shelter, Do not go outside, or Not a drill. That feeling in her stomach was back. This time she hadn't driven over a small dip. She was skydiving. The news never actually managed to say whether or not this threat was real. They were just running a news piece about the message itself. She looked around the office. There was no one to talk to. She wasn't sure what she wanted to say, but another person would help out some ideas off of at least. She just needed to talk or hear words. It was as if the ingredients were gone. As if the staff of the thought factory that was her brain were all stood beside their respective conveyor belts waiting for them to move again. Twitter, she shouted. She could check Twitter to see if this was a false alarm. 
first few tweets she saw were from people much like her wondering what the fuck was going on. The next was a tweet that mentioned the case in Hawaii and said it was most likely just a false alarm. Then there were, of course, a few journalists tweeting some things about the minutia of the alarm system that had notified everyone's phone, each trying to break news without having any news to break, but just wanting to be involved in the story of this magnitude. Then there were a few lads, in inverted commas, making memes. Their final minutes would undoubtedly be spent as their lives had been, desperately seeking the approval of their peers. Nothing on Twitter cleared anything up. Could this be real? She asked herself. She stood up and did some quick calculations in her head. What would she do at the office? She couldn't leave. What would happen if if it's a false alarm? She didn't have time to make it home. I was an hour away. Christ, she could be driving right into the blast radius for all she knew. The questions started piling in her head, thick and fast. Should she call someone? Isn't that what people do? Her brain began to ache. It was like a bolt of lightning right behind her eye. She put her face in her hand, but tilting forward made it worse, so she slowly pressed her forehead against the cold glass of the window. The car hurtled up the road outside the office. She'd heard what sounded like a voice. In fact, it didn't just sound like any voice. It sounded exactly like her ex-girlfriend, Caroline. It sounded exactly like her when she would speak to her after she got her something. In college, Sarah was broke, but on Valentine's Day, she sprung for a teddy bear and a single red rose. They had agreed no presents, but the only reason she agreed to that was because she had no money. She remembered her clasped them, left hand and her right hand, and her shoulders squeezed in and up. She hugged her tight, kissed her, and whispered thank you softly in her ear. It was so soft that she could have sworn she heard it again. But of course, it wasn't Caroline. Sarah had no idea if Caroline even lived in Ireland anymore. The last time they were together was in Caroline's apartment, which wasn't too far away from where she was standing now, but a lot changes in two years. She could have moved. She could be out. All sorts could have changed. One thing she was sure was that this would frighten her. Even though it was more than likely a false alarm, it would still scare the living shit out of Caroline. She'd always been afraid of the nuclear issue, as she would call it. She made Sarah watch a documentary until she learned to categorically agree with her about it. Sarah would mainly think about the cartoons from Fallout while she watched them, even breaking out laughing at points. When she did this, Caroline would give her this incredulous look, as if to say, how do you find any of this funny? Then she would explain to her what was running through her mind. Then Caroline would laugh as well. Maybe I should call over to her, Sarah thought. She might be scared shitless. Said again, seeing me after all this time might scare her even more, Sarah chuckled. Stood in harsh relief to the big window, Sarah stood there for minutes, deliberating. Fuck it, she finally said. I'll just check on her, she said, arguing with no one in particular. Sarah figured it was most likely a false alarm. After all, what was the strategic reason behind a strike on Dublin? Sarah also set about doing other calculations in her head. Maybe this could be a good way to break the ice between them. I mean, what better way to make it up for ghosting someone than to show up unexpectedly in a crisis, right? Sarah walked over to her desk, picked up her raincoat and phone, headed for the door. She looked at her phone and saw an incoming call from her boyfriend. He'll be alright, she thought, muting her notifications. Then she heard a smash. Running over to the window, she spotted in front of the building, in her parking space, sat her car, with some glass on the ground beside it, and a set of legs coming out of the driver's door. Fuck her, she roared. Running through the door, she heard the engine start. Taking two stairs at a time, jumping the last five all in one, Sarah crashed into the lobby, bursting through the door. She arrived just in time to see her car burning out of the car park. Too late. This false alarm is clearly scaring people, she thought. She slinked back up to her desk, defeated. Then the TV, which had been playing, the recording on a loop, changed its tune. 
the first words were all she heard this time. Ballistic missile now less than 10 minutes away. It wasn't a false alarm, this is it. She was going to be in the office for the rest of her life. Sarah tasted blood in her mouth. It reminded her of when she was a kid. She grew up in the west of Ireland. It was always cold there, and when cold air hits the lungs of a child with asthma, it gives the distinct taste of blood. She was having it again, except it wasn't cold in the office. Her lungs were heaving under the stress of the long, deep breaths they were processing. It had been two minutes since the update in the news. Now there were fewer than eight minutes left, possibly in her life. Sarah sat with her back against the window again, the cold glass soothing against her flushed skin. She knew now that no one would come for her, but she still sort of expected them to. Like after a person close to you dies and you expect them to walk in the room any minute. Of course, she had learned the hard way that this was just her own denial wearing a mask. For a few brief moments of clarity, she could see her life from the outside. The long, deep breaths she had taken given way to this lightheadedness and with it a sort of outer body experience. Sarah saw her life in a balance sheet, but all the things she loved, her car, her career, her clean, fashionable house, all in the assets column. The debt column was too long to read, and for whatever reason, she could only make out one line. Caroline. Sarah bent over, finally catching her breath, but this feeling of normality drained from her as she felt her legs getting weak, just before she hit the ground. Then she was very far away, sat in a small restaurant at a window. It was night and thick snowflakes fell, curled around her finger the lace of the curtain which framed the picture outside the window. She recognized this place. This was Andorra, where her and her cousin skied once as spotty teens. This was the quaint restaurant adjoined to their cheap hotel. The finger ran along the nape of Sarah's neck, as a woman in a black dress slipped into the seat opposite. That face you'd remember anywhere. Caroline's face. Sedate, Sarah glanced at Caroline, exchanging a knowing glance for a Then suddenly, they were out in it, the snow swirling around them. Sarah turned to Caroline, her eyelids batted, the thick black duvet open to the world, chin tucked to her chest. Sarah reached out her hand. Caroline put hers out too. Expecting a spark to crack in the small distance between the two, they reached further, then contact. Sarah leapt forward, gasping for air. She must have fainted, she thought. Her pride and head hurt. She got to her knees first, before getting to her feet. The office was still there, and at the corner, the TV was saying that there was six minutes left. She marched over to her desk and picked up her phone with vigor. As she marched back over to the window, her phone started to ring. It was her boyfriend again. Fuck off, she said, swiping away his notification. She dialed out a number and then put the phone to her ear as she took in the West Dublin Industrial Estate outside of her window. It rang once, twice, three times. Then an automated voice said, The person you are trying to reach is not accessible at the moment or may have their phone powered off. Please try again later. She walked back to her computer and opened Facebook 
Within seconds, she was on Caroline's wall. In a hurry, she started typing as the TV announced there were four minutes before impact. Hey, Caroline. I hope you get this in time. Firstly, I'm sorry for everything. The only saving grace in my mind over the last year has been that I thought I was right about a few things and that you were unwilling to hear my side. But that's all bullshit. I saw you leave me like everybody else in my life, and I lashed out. That way I was in control. I spent the last years purging everything that reminded me of you. And even the good things. I've given up on people and only tried to look after myself. I'd love to say that we belong together, but we don't. You're far better than me, and you should be with someone that reflects that. I hope you get the chance. I just want to say thank you. You found me. A strange, angry child and showed me the love I never earned. Thank you, Caroline. You found me. I hope this finds you. A tear fell onto her screen. The first tear that had fallen in years. Then she went to her boss's office. A quick rummage in his desk came up with three bottles of whiskey and half a used eight ball of cocaine. Sarah returned to her desk with a pint of red breast. She looked at the monstrosity for a moment, trying to figure out the best way to attack it. Kicking off her fashionable and uncomfortable shoes, she put her feet on the chair next to her and started by taking a big gulp, which resulted in a lot of coughing and some tears. Then the TV suddenly cut back to regular coverage and her phone buzzed again. It was the standard, a shit rag paper that she subscribed to. Dublin panics during nuclear hoax. Hoax. What the fuck? She said, looking at the clock. It was 3.16. Nearly 90 seconds after the bomb was supposed to have originally hit. She frantically picked up her phone. Twitter was awash with people talking about it. There was already memes flying about. Same father Ted bullshit as always. Some crying Michael Jordans. Journalists, TV personalities were all talking about it. Then, her phone buzzed again. Her boyfriend again. This time it was a text message. Are you fucking serious, Sarah? From the bottom of my heart, drop dead, you complete bitch, it said. Oh no, she whispered. He was not going to calm down from this. Of course, this was all just preamble to the realization of what she had just posted on Caroline's wall. Oh my god, Caroline's wall, she thought. And to add insult to injury, she was now starting to get super drunk. Time ticked over from 3.16 to 3.17. She ran back to her computer screen to read it. After a few moments, she erupted. You found me. Oh, who the fuck thought that line would be a good idea? Oh, Jesus Christ, kill me, she thought. With her head in her hands, Sarah sat at her desk defeated. She walked over, glass in hand, to the window. With mascara smudged on her face, she looked out mournfully. I wish there was a magic button that would erase this horrible feeling inside. She closed her eyes as another black tear shot down her face, then Sarah felt a sudden warmth on her arms. She opened her eyes to see a light brighter than she had ever seen before. It wasn't a hoax. The window glowed white as the cloud began to race towards her. Tired, drunk, mascara all over her face. Sarah Casey watched as the light encased her, and she began to laugh, a hearty laugh. (laughs) 